Welcome back to part two of this week's episode of the Cuban Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kahn, and I'm joined by our special guest host, Steve Laidlaw. In part one, if you haven't listened to it yet, we have cruised through some of the hottest streaks and biggest names and line changes and injuries that we've seen from the first NHL Fantasy Game Week. And now we're getting into some of the deeper cuts here, and this one might not be so deep. Alexi Lafreniere, who uh, has started better than he did last year, and mostly because of his ice time. He's playing 17 minutes a night, which is three more than he averaged last season. And in three games, he's managed 13 shots on goal, six hits to go with it, and he has two assists to go with all that. It's funny that that's like, the third piece of information, but there's a lot of good signs here. Lafreniere is playing with uh, Vincent Trocek and Artemi Panarin at five on five. Um, and then you've got Capo Kako. I'm going to lump him into this question too, because Kako is playing with Zabanejad and Kreider. Um, and in three games, Kako has a goal on seven shots with four hits and four blocks, seeing about the same ice time as last year. So I'm wondering, Steve, if you see any early indications that this could be the year that Lafreniere and or Kako make themselves fancy relevant for a whole season or at least a, a huge chunk of it. It's just so hard to get too excited about these players because we know who the top five fantasy relevant players are on the Rangers and it's those top unit power play guys. And there's like no breaking into that group of five Panarin, Kreider, Trocek, Zabanajad, and Fox. And you're not going to displace any of those guys. So how relevant do you get to be? You can be as good as say a Carter Verhage to shoot back to an example that we talked about in part one. Um, you can reach, you know, that 60 point level, but to, really get higher than that you have to put up power play points and the, the power play minutes just aren't going to be there without an injury so right now I, I i like what i'm seeing um but it's just hard to get overly excited all right i'm gonna throw another couple quick players at you to end the hot streak section who i think are gonna probably fit a similar description to what you just did let's start with jason zucker and like this guy again come on Come on, enough with Jason Zucker already. I put Jason Zucker to bed and here he is waking up asking me for water or whatever, like just annoying me. Uh, Zucker's now in his age 31 season for Pete's sake. Over the course of an NHL career that spanned nearly a decade, Jason Zucker has had exactly one and a half good seasons. And yet he somehow always comes up on the show as someone we've been hopeful for, we've given up on. Uh, but since that one good season that Zucker had the 64-point pace in 2017-18, his point paces have been 43, 56, 39, 34. But now Jason Zucker's out of the gates with three points in two games, six shots, playing 15 minutes a night alongside Evgeny Malkin and Brian Rust. He's back on the second line. Last year he was basically playing with Jeff Carter and Kasperi Kapanen after years of flirting with regular Malkin time on ice, which of course, you know, is only so possible based on Malkin's injury record. Um, so I'm wondering if Jason Zucker can have the second fully fantasy relevant season of his career and what's his ninth full season in the NHL. The Penguins look really, really good when they're healthy and it's early and they're, they're so old. They're like as old as I am. And I wake up every morning 
I roll out, of, and I'm not that old, but I wake up every morning and I roll out of bed and I just listen to my joints play popcorn as I hit the floor. And I can only imagine what it's like to do that as a professional athlete, just absolutely grinding it out every single day. So yeah, they look, they, they look good now. And let's see what it looks like in a month when the little injuries start to pop up and Zucker is no stranger to those. So um, yeah, he, he, he'd be great to ride for as long as you can. And then as soon as he's hurt or Malkin's hurt or someone else gets hurt and they start going into the lineup blender, um, it won't be as exciting. Yeah, fair enough. And I feel like, again, this is what's going to describe, like we're, we're basically in a t- part of the show where we're bringing up guys who you might want to take a quick look at, uh, not get too attached to. Another is uh, who I said back in part one that we'd circle back to, and that's Gabe Velarde. And I'll also lump in Alex Iafalo in there too. Iafalo, you know, we're like, I, this season, I'm like, okay, uh, Fiala's in the mix now. Kempe's ascended to the top line. is not going to play with Kopitar anymore so forget him and of course the guy has four points in his first three games two goals on six shots um playing with uh quinton byfield and gabriel velarde on what is essentially the third line but kind of in a top nine which is what la is running right now like these guys are still seeing like 16 plus minutes of ice a night but velarde is the one i really want to focus on and steve you actually mentioned something first half of the show that i did not realize and I'm kicking myself for it because I added Nick Robertson. And I think had I realized that Gabe Velarde was playing on the top power play in LA, I might've been more interested in him, especially because the Kings have a Monday, Tuesday schedule because Velarde has four points in three games as well. Two goals on five shots and none of it coming on the power play yet, even though he's seeing like four minutes of power play time per night which is a pretty good place to be when you have four points in three games plus top power play time where you haven't even cashed in yet. Um, so my question is if Gabe Velarde can keep up some reasonable points at five on five, uh, which he's gone beyond so far, but I assume they'll come back down being on the top power play unit and on a line that seems to be getting relatively decent playing time in the top nine is Gabe Velarde approaching must own territory. I wouldn't say must own, but he's certainly at the top of the streamers list because you mentioned the enticing schedule coming up, but also, yes, the top power play minutes usage. He had an excellent preseason and training camp, and he's getting a huge push from the Kings. Now, their top power play unit might just continue to be terrible, And so that might limit the upside of what he can do there. But there's a ton of forward talent on that team. Um, They could get into some real shootouts if their goaltending and defense continues to kind of be roller coastery. But there's a lot of offensive talent up front. So they might just embrace those roller coaster rides. And there could be a lot of offense to be had. I'm not shooting the moon. Um, but certainly he's one of those ones who opportunity and kind of that post hype sleeper talent are all coalescing to someone that I, I wouldn't mind having shares in right now. 
All right. And just to end our hot streak section, I'm going to leave a couple guys on the cutting room floor, but I'm at least going to mention their names. Michael Rasmussen, uh, who has three point, who had three points in his debut for the season on the third line. He's 23 years old. He's only had a point pace between 24 and 28 points, but is a former ninth overall pick of the Red Wings back in 2017. He's playing with um, uh, Elmer Soderblom, and, oh, man, I really should have written their first names here. Sundqvist. Is it Oscar? Did it's Oscar? Oscar. End up, it is Oscar ended up in Detroit. I didn't uh, I don't think I even totally realized that until this moment. And of course, Elmer, I always call Arvid by accident because of his goaltending brother. Anyway, Michael Rasmussen uh, is fourth year in the league uh, on the league's biggest line or something. They're huge. It's like uh, every 1990s or early 2000s GMs or coaches wet dream, like the size and, and heft of these guys going on the ice. Uh, so uh, interesting to keep an eye on, add them to your watch list, I'd say. And Ellie Tolvanen also playing with in Nashville with Ryan Johansson, Nino Niederreiter, who we'd sort of hoped for bigger things last year. Uh, sort of doing things this year for uh, three points in four games, six shots, and is seeing an increase in ice time versus last year. Tolvanen's on a 62-point pace. So both guys to add to your watch list that I'll quickly mention. And then finally, to end our hot streaks, how about we give kudos? It's so hard for goalies out there. So when they do well, let's at least give them props for it. And I just want to shout out Anton Forsberg for two pretty solid performances to begin the year. He stopped 32 of 34 in a losing effort against Buffalo and uh, stopped 29 of 32 in another losing effort against Toronto. But this is a guy who's had, you know, a career where he's had very few opportunities. Maybe he never really earned one, got one by default last year, ran with it, still seems to be running with it. Uh, Steve, with Kim Talbot out, do you think there's a chance that Anton Forsberg could actually make himself like win the number one job in the time that Cam Talbot's injured? I mean, he did so last year, but the question for me is, is Ottawa as good as the preseason hype was? Uh-huh. Well, that, that brings us into our cold streaks. If, you, if, the, if, if you're ready for them, are you ready for them? I mean, I, I feel kind of like the uh, the videos of people taking the cold plunge, but uh, <laughs> I, I guess let's dive in. Let's dive into the coldness that is the dark depths of the Ottawa Senators. Gosh, we dared be hopeful about the season to come. And uh, it's nice that Anton Forsberg is a bright light in uh, a season where things have not started well. Claude Giroux, after two games, the only senator who has more than a single point. He's got two points in two games. Only seven other Sens have pointed, and we're still waiting for Josh Norris's first point, Tim Stutzla's first point. Uh, I'm waiting for Eric Brandstrom's first point. Oh, no, Eric Brandstrom got a point. Way to go, Eric Brandstrom. Um, you know, there's some positive things happening in the, in the shot totals. You've got to bring it with nine shots over two games. Good Chuck with seven over two games and then Giroux and Shabbat each with six shots over two games. So look, they haven't played at home yet. They're, they're, they're a team. They're a new team basically who I think are figuring out how to work with one another. I don't know. I didn't end up with any sends on my rosters, even though I wanted to after my fantasy drafts, I'm wondering if I should go kick tires on some right now, Steve, because maybe they're available for a lower price than they will be for the rest of the season. It's a little bit unnerving in a similar way to the way that the Sabres are unnerving in that 
they suddenly have this depth and they're forced to play it. They're going to be giving more minutes to their second power play unit because it has guys like Claude Giroux and Alex Dabrinkat on it. And neither of those players should be second power play unit players. And I think they've already changed their power play unit alignments, which is never what you want to see a couple of years into the season. Um, yeah, I, I never put in a ton of shares into this team between some of the guys being caught up in the Hockey Canada situation potentially and just the stink of that. And then with all the minutes that kind of have to get uh, split up, it was hard to buy the shares plus all the preseason hype. Um, it made it difficult to acquire these guys in drafts. So, uh, you know, I've got Shabbat in one league. I've got Stutzla in another league, but I don't have a ton of shares and I'm not um, necessarily going out looking to buy, but certainly I think that the Sens are on the whole, they're not like a name brand lineup. So they don't have too many name brand guys where you couldn't go out and maybe steal a Stutzla or basically anyone but Kachuk. Right. Yeah. So I, again, we're going to wait to see a little longer about how they do, but I see you're not, you're not thinking, okay, this is the chance to really go and get them for cheap. You, uh, you want to see them do well first. And I can't blame you for that because the Sens are not yet in session. Someone else who is not yet in session. Let's talk about a few big names here uh, who were definitely, you know, had some draft capital invested in them, but are not delivering yet. And the Sens, while being one of the youngest teams in the league, a lot of these guys who aren't delivering are old, oldies, even older than uh, than the Penguins, at least some of them. Uh, Alex Ovechkin is, uh, is going to kick off the cold streaks we're talking about here. Unfortunately, after three games, Ovechkin is still trying to find the goals column. He's gotten an assist, but that's it. Despite putting up 13 shots and 15 hits, God bless you, Alex Ovechkin. Uh, particularly interesting for Ovechkin, he has seen 18 minutes on the power play through three games. That's crazy. He's attempted 20 shots. Nine of them have gotten on net, but he has no goals to show for them. Ovechkin just turned 37. I don't know. It's 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 too early to be seriously asking this question. I mean, has he been living on borrowed time though? I'm going to I'm going to go all the way here. Are we worried that the last couple of years are not something we can expect to continue at this point for Ovechkin? I'd have slight alarm just from the fact that Ovechkin's starts to the season, the past few seasons, have been so good. So it's like he puts in the time during the offseason. He's coming in as fresh as he could possibly be, and he comes out like a rocket. And then just like like if you're a racing fan, he's he hasn't gone in to the pits for – uh, new tires and and the the wobbly rubbers are just they're not carrying them very far um, so I would be a little bit concerned um, with the slow start but ultimately we know his place if, if he's not producing then that team's going to be bad and so they're just going to be like okay well then Ovechkin go chase the Gretzky goal race so his position is cemented there's no concern about him not getting the use and he's never hurt. So there's very little to be concerned about from that regard, but I don't know, maybe the team's just bad 
and he's not going to be an 80 plus point guy. I'm not there yet. It's, it's too early to come to those conclusions, but it is just slightly alarming that he's not off to a hot start. And one casualty of his hot start, you know, maybe Ovechkin's having a hard time playing with a couple new line mates and Connor Brown and yeah, Dylan Strom, who's been bumped up to the top line to replace Evgeny Kuznetsov, who's down to uh, the second line, 30 years old Kuznetsov, just an assist in three games. You know, this is after a huge season last year where we're like, yeah, he's going to be the one feeding Ovechkin to try and break that Gretzky goals record. But so far, uh, not so much. We haven't seen much from him. Just that lone assist in three games, five shots recently put on the second line. And John Carlson is pointless in three games. Steve, are you worried about either of these guys? Or is this uh, like the opposite of a rising tide lifts all ships? A sinking tide uh, does the opposite, sinks all ships. Yeah, I mean, if Ovechkin's stock is a bit of an anchor, then the whole team's going to go down. And I mean, you didn't even mention that Kuznetsov had recently been bumped off the first power play as well. So there's all kinds of concerns with him, who has been one of the most erratic guys. Now, the reality is, if he's not their number one center, then who is? And really, if he's not their number one center, then they don't have one. Um, And same goes for Carlson as their top defenseman. So those guys are fairly locked into their opportunities. It's just going to be a question of, is this finally the year that the Capitals kind of just implode? And maybe it is, and maybe we'd all be better for it. Well, this is a team where there's no doubt. Let's move on to a team that no doubt they're going to implode. Let's go over to Chicago where we have another, uh, you know, classic first round pick in Patrick Kane uh, doing a whole lot of nothing through the first matchup. Kane has, we've mentioned we're worried about a slowdown. This was before Chicago blew up their team, even though he's had 95 or more point paces over the last three seasons, we've seen some signs to be like, Hey, I think uh, the tail of this career production is about to come. But now that the Chicago team has been stripped for parts, Patrick Kane has been left almost alone. And he's got a, the same stat line as Ovechkin, just one assist in three games, only nine shots, which is a, a little alarming too. Cause usually Patrick Kane shoots a little more than three shots per game. Usually about three and a half. Also something else alarming about Patrick Kane. He played fewer than 18 minutes in Chicago's opener and less than 19 minutes in the, their third game, which is really unfamiliar territory for Patrick Kane, who has averaged 22 minutes a night for a long, long time. So, uh, Steve, what's your advice for anybody who has Patrick Kane on their roster or anyone who doesn't? Like, if you don't have Patrick Kane, are you looking to buy low? Or if you do have Patrick Kane, how are you thinking you can get out from under this? That's actually the piece I'm more concerned about. I don't think you should buy low, but would you care to disagree? I think your only recourse is to petition fantasy providers to create a new designation Uh, similar to the IR or the NA, where CHI allows you to put that player into purgatory, but still retain their rights and pick up a different player, because there is absolutely no one on the Chicago Blackhawks who I think will be valuable unless your league doesn't count plus minus. And therefore, I don't want any of those players anywhere near my roster. And I frankly don't think it's very that all that fair that I can rock a guy like Brad Marchand on my IR 
until he's ready to emerge and be productive. But Patrick Kane owners can't do the same because it's going to be a nightmare until he's traded. And that might not happen until March. Yeah. And I mean, even when he does, we, we actually haven't seen a player of his caliber get traded, you know, towards the end of a playoff, like towards uh, the trade deadline. So I'm curious to see what that looks like. Usually we say a player getting traded, the trade deadline is not going to get to play the same starring role that they've played on the team they're leaving, but this is way into the future. And like you're saying, Steve, if you have Patrick Kane on your roster, you have a bit of a problem for the next little while. So maybe explore some offers. See if you can get out from under it. Tweet us at Keepin Carlson if you are getting any that you'd like to go over, or you can join us in our uh, patrons-only Discord server and ask there, patreon.com slash Carlson if you want info about that. There's the plug. I did it. Um, how about we talk about somebody who was in Chicago last year who, Steve, I'm going to be honest, like I know he was in Chicago, but I still find it really hard to picture Marc-Andre Fleury wearing that uniform. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't compute in my brain. He didn't do enough in that jersey for me to really put him in it. Mark Andre Fleury also serving himself like like anyone on Chicago is making the case like why are you rostering me? Uh, this has been a Fleury's had a spotty track record since really like the last seven or eight years since 2015-16 when in his age 31 season um, like he started kind of like that that's when he had huge success right with Vegas in their inaugural season that bumped his value back up then he outplayed Robin Leonard when he was being left for dead and Marc-Andre Fleury has been riding those couple really good seasons which have been surrounded by some really awful ones and now he's at age 37 and off to a terrible start with Minnesota after a 908, 928, and 905 in his last three seasons, he's starting this season with a 776 save percentage, starting stopping just 38 of 49 shots against. This is the lowest save percentage in the league, except for Vitek Vanacek, amongst all goalies who have played at least, made just an appearance so far this year. Do you see any hope? I remember this time last year, Steve, we were saying drop flurry, like Chicago's a mess. You don't want their goalie, especially if their goalie isn't doing anything. And then he actually came back and had a really solid stretch before falling apart again. Do you think there's, is there anything to the idea of dropping Marc-Andre Fleury at this point in the season? I mean, who are you picking up is the question. So I don't know, hang on to him. Don't start him until he until that team shows any signs of life, I don't know, they they might just have not have enough depth and they might just not be that competitive, but typically the wild are very competitive. I really like their blue line. Um, Yeah. I think that this is a uncomfortable Rocky start, but we've seen uncomfortable Rocky starts for starting goaltenders before. I think the position is just so volatile. So um, like I wouldn't be, at all happy to be a flurry owner right now um and i would have zero confidence rolling him out there but it's it's, it's like what are you going to do okay i'll put this to you then like you're saying who would you pick up let's say anton forsberg's on the wire would you drop mark andre flurry for anton forsberg and maybe even logan logan thompson there's a couple names would you make the swap i would grab either of those guys but i would be dropping from my skaters rather than my goalies because the position is just it's just so impactful in so few players so you don't want to be there and oh the wild got off to a 
you know, a slow first week, but suddenly they're still giving Colorado all that they can handle come April and you jumped out on flurry after two bad starts. Fair enough. I have a couple other goalies that I'd like to throw at you, but first we're going to take a very quick break. I hope these ads are dynamically inserted, but let's uh, leave a space for them. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back for the final stretch of the show. We just were talking about Marc-Andre Fleury um, and how, you know, you got you to kind of hang on, especially he's on such a competitive team, as you mentioned. Steve, I'm going to throw a couple goalies at you who are not on such competitive teams or are on teams that we'd hope would be competitive. However, have yet to really demonstrate it, maybe because of the goalies. Uh, let's start in Anaheim, where John Gibson is four seasons removed now from his last impressive season uh, when he was 25 years old. He's now age 29. He's been lost in the woods the last three seasons. 904, 903, 904 are his most recent save percentages. This season, his start is a, uh, he has stopped 66 of 75 shots he's faced for an 880 save percentage. Uh, He was hung out to dry, to be fair, in the last Anaheim game. I don't think anyone was blaming him for what was going on. It was a mercy poll. Anaheim was like trying to get into a track meet. I think it was, was it the Islanders they were against? And uh, they just kept getting bombarded with odd man rushes. So there's one guy and let me, I'll put the other guy on the table at the same time. And that's over in Seattle, Philip Grubauer, who I saw a crazy stat the other day that Seattle had let in a goal on the first shot against in like 12 of the 85 games in their franchise's history. I think I saw it on uh, Dmitry Filipovich's Twitter feed. And it's already happened again this year. They keep giving up goals on the first shot against. And obviously, Philip Grubauer has been in the net for many, not all, but many of these. And last season, that helped Grubauer or hurt Grubauer to an 889 save percentage, where he was only putting up a quality start, one out of three starts, and had 10 really bad starts. And, you know, we were ready to forgive and forget with Grubauer entering his age 31 season, still having shown some promise before. But these early performances from him, or adding new transgressions to forgive and new painful memories to forget. Grubauer so far has stopped 28 of 33 shots with an 848 save percentage, did not put up a quality start in his one start. And actually that start was a really bad start. It was so bad that Grubauer's, uh, seat, he seated the net to Martin Jones for the second and third games of the year, which is like, oh, is Grubauer going to be on a tighter leash this season? Is Seattle going to be able to get something out of Martin Jones? Of course, Martin Jones had a good start. And then he collapsed with Grubauer replacing him in the third. He stopped six of six to finish a losing effort against Vegas. So we've got a couple goalies here and Grubauer and Gibson who aren't on a team like Marc-Andre Fleury is and who don't have any kind of recent track record of being as uh, the same highs as Flurry has had recently. So are you giving these guys any time to prove, uh, to prove that they are worth rostering? Or are you trying to move on as quickly as you can? Where are these leagues where these guys are rostered? Okay. So there are, <laughs> there are leagues where you need minimum starts and volume helps. So like the cupful scoring. All right. I'm going to, I'll lay it out for you just on the fly. So uh, you get, Two points for a win, you get 0.3 points for a save. Uh, you lose a, a point and a half for a goal against, and you get a little bonus for a shutout if, if it happens. So uh, I don't know. I'm trying to pull pull up some of these numbers on the fly and what they actually translate to. So like Jake Allen starts so far, 
he had six points, stopping 29 of 32 against Toronto and uh, almost 10 fantasy points, which is huge. Like that's a big night, stopping 37 of 38 against Detroit in a losing effort. So basically, if you can, again, have a 905 or 910 save percentage, even if you're not winning, uh, so long as you're facing, you know, 25, 30 shots at least, you're in good shape. So in a league like that, what are you thinking of? Like, so you're you're seeing Gibson and Grubauer and saying, forget it, I guess, in a lot of your formats. Oh, yeah, I, I was mostly being facetious. I know that there are leagues uh, out there where volume starters are valuable. But, I mean, it, it just it strikes me that this segment is Brian throws goalie grenades at Steve and Steve tries to dodge them <laughs> and, and the shrapnel thereafter like a modern-day Neo. And, uh, yeah, I think anyone who rosters any of these goalies is, is going to get caught by that shrapnel. It's, it's going to be terrible um, because you're drafting – goalies for the teams that they're on and those teams aren't that good i think seattle's going to be better than they were last year but grubauer just he's a lemon he's a lemon and you're just gonna have to embrace that and if he starts having some nice starts then you can adjust from there but he's not someone that i would go near all right so what i'm hearing is very little faith in uh, john gibson or grubauer and potentially no No, you're hearing none no okay no no faith (laughs) Zero faith in any of these guys to turn their seasons around. Apologies. You know, every season I try and fade goalies and, you know, because it's hard unless you get one of the top three, it's kind of a crapshoot. And these are the guys you ended up with. If you faded to a certain point, I haven't been bit yet. I've got a uh, Allen and group and sorry, and Bennington on my couple team. And I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. Like flurry was a do not draft guy for me and Grubauer and Gibson were like, well, if it gets to that point, um, it didn't. So I just feel fortunate. I don't mean to rub it in uh, to anybody who has drafted them. Steve, how about, uh, okay. I'm sorry. I got one more goalie grenade for you. And this is, this is an Edmonton situation. And I promise that I think this is it for goalies. Uh, Jack Campbell. Oof, really, really tough start for this guy on the, on the start of a brand new contract in Edmonton. And we kind of knew that we weren't going to rely whole hog on Jack Campbell to be great. Like this is a guy who started really great. And when his first games in Toronto rolled out, then they're like, okay, we'll make you a starter. And he was outstanding through the first month, but that save percentage, like that incredible start that Jack Campbell had actually um, made him look a lot better through all the bad outings that were to come. Like he still ended the year with a nine fourteen last season and a 60% quality start percentage, but against all odds, based on how things were going on the back half of the season this year, not even the front half of the season is going well for Jack Campbell. Really easy to notice he's struggling. He stopped 40 of 47 shots only, an 851 save percentage, and was pulled 11 minutes into Saturday's contest at home against Calgary and replaced. This is why this one's more interesting, Steve, because I think those other situations, there's not really a challenger, but could Stuart Skinner be an early challenger here. He came in, he stopped all 31 Calgary shots the rest of the way. Do we have an early goaltending controversy here? Can Stuart Skinner somehow force the Oilers hand to get at least equal billing as Jack Campbell, if this pattern holds? 
I think you could make it interesting. I mean, ultimately, I was always looking at this as a 50-30 split. So if he pushes it closer to 40-40, um, is that really all that different uh, from expectations? Not necessarily. I mean, Campbell, he he kind of is what he is. Like, we know that he's very inconsistent. So they paid a premium for, I don't know what reason, but they did. And so I guess because of the contract, he's going to get the lion's share of the starts. But ultimately, uh, Skinner is a viable option. But I mean, Campbell is basically what this team is. And that's um, a team that can absolutely look unbeatable on some nights and absolutely look completely flammable on other nights. So um, he's going to be a tough guy to roster in leagues where you're relying on that save percentage and stuff like that. But in terms of if you're looking for someone who's going to give you solid volume and rack up wins, I think that Campbell is a guy for that. And I think that not much has changed based on what the first couple of games have shown. But yeah, Skinner's a viable option. I would very much have Skinner on my roster if I also had Campbell. But that's why I don't have Campbell, because I don't want to have to roster two goalies for one position. Right. Okay. So you're saying Campbell's probably still going to get the lion's share, but there's always a chance that Skinner can step in a little more than we expect him to. And you kind of need him if you have Jack Campbell, if you want to guarantee yourself some Oilers starts. Um, Okay. I told you we're done with goalies. So let's go to Ryan Nugent Hopkins in Edmonton. We're staying in Edmonton where uh, we're still in cold streaks. And uh, here's an Edmonton goal streak. Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, has not done anything in two games so far. This is a guy who had a 65-point pace last year as a 28-year-old, thanks to 23 power play points. And that power play production was key for Nugent Hopkins because he's basically been centering the third line since game 40 of last season. Um, and like had basically no time on ice with Leon Dreisaitl for the back half of the year this year. Nugent Hopkins is still not with Dreisaitl, who's been up with McDavid, but uh, on the second line is Nugent Hopkins with Jesse Pugliarvi and Zach Hyman, which is probably Nugent Hopkins' best case scenario, right? The worst case is Dreisaitl drops down off the McDavid line to replace Nugent Hopkins in the middle on the second line. And then Nugent Hopkins falls back down to line three where he was last year with what's his name and who's his face. And uh, so far, I don't know if he's really justifying a case for being on the second line with no points. Um, He's been on the ice for three power play goals so far, but Nugent Hopkins, maybe just bad luck. He hasn't pointed on any of them. But Steve, my question for you is if Nugent Hopkins isn't producing at five on five, and let's say he does either continue to do nothing on the second line or fall down to the third line, even if Nugent Hopkins holds that top power play production or deployment, is he worth rostering? Like, are we in danger of snoozing on Ryan Nugent Hopkins on our rosters? Yeah, Nuge has quietly devolved into like a rich man's Sam Gagne. Like, you remember when Gagne went to Columbus and he was like the only reason that their power play got good for like half a season? Yeah. That's Nugent Hopkins. Okay. He's uh alan mitchell um the the great uh low tide um refers to him as a power play witch and i mean they've got dry and mcdavid and those guys are phenomenal on the power play as well but nuge is a key factor in what makes 
that power play awesome. And he's great in that role, but he does nothing at five on five. And so start treating him like a rich man, Sam Gagne. And there's value in that in fantasy leagues. There just isn't a lot. Okay. Yeah. So, so you are not optimistic at all about Ryan Nugent Hopkins either. So maybe if you drafted him, I actually, I'm in a league where I, I co-manage with a uh, former tier one competitor and fast track cup full winner, John Newhold. And I was sort of like Ryan Nugent Hopkins was one of the top players left on our draft list. And he was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't. And uh, I'm glad we steered away from him. So if, if you didn't, if you have him, I, I have this habit, sorry, of saying, phew, I'm glad I was right. But to those of you who um, are in this unfortunate situation, look, I was wrong on Palat. Okay, we all do it. Um, maybe wait for a hot run on the power play and then see if you can use that to move on because he's not someone you want to be stuck with. Someone you're already snoozing on, by the way, in Edmonton, if he's still on your roster, is Dylan Holloway, who had a fantastic preseason. But the second the regular season started, things have gone bad. Uh, he had a bad giveaway that I think led to a goal. He was demoted out of the top six. I think you can forget him for now if he's landed on, uh, if he somehow was added onto your roster. A couple, oh, I've got one more old guy, Steve, to to hit on the cold streaks. And that is Phil Kessel. What do you do with Phil Kessel? Are you hanging on? Uh, he just turned 35 years old, 52-point pace last year, 63-point pace the year before, both in Arizona, where he was playing 17 minutes a night. For Vegas so far, Kessel, who has started the year playing with Jack Eichel and Riley Smith, is playing fewer than 14 minutes a night, has just one assist in three games, and only seven shots. Remember that in his heyday, Phil Kessel was taking three and a half shots per night. Now, for the last few years, Phil Kessel has been out of his heyday, taking just two shots per game. So this tracks. But do you have any faith, Steve, that Phil Kessel, for anyone who took a late round flyer on him, was excited to see a little bit of Phil the Thrill and see what he had left in the tank? Are you giving up on him already? Or are you holding on for at least another few games? This thing like that you, cause you have enough faith that maybe just maybe he can make the most of this great deployment he's been getting. No, he's entered that late phase Jason Spezza type scenario where like the, the mental wizardry is still there and there's still some skills, but the, the, like, I mean, he was never a physical specimen, but just the overall physical game isn't there. And you can see like the fact that he's not even attempting to shoot from 40 feet away is just, it's a clear sign that this guy has gone into full on playmaker mode and there's still value in that. And certainly if the Vegas golden Knights are going to continue their hot start, then I think he'll have some tangible value, but it's it's not tremendous. He's not getting back to Pittsburgh level Kessel. All right, so drop Phil Kessel. Steve, just to close out the show, two more guys that you might have had on your roster from late round draft picks that you might want to drop at this point. I just wanted to see if you concur or not. One is Sean Dursey over in LA on the back end who had an assist and three shots in the Kings opener plus three hots and five block three hits and five blocks looked good right everyone was pumped except Todd McClellan behind the bench in LA was decidedly not he benched Jersey the following game seemingly as punishment for a bad giveaway that led to a crucial goal against uh, versus Vegas then Jersey returned to the lineup and seemed uh, meek and mousy just one shot one hit nothing else there's a lot of talk in the preseason around Jersey, 24 years old, 
thinking that he was going to do something this year. You see any reason for hope or, uh, or are you letting go? He's entered streamer territory for me until we see some resolution to what they've got going on on the right side. I mean, the reality is Drew Doty returning basically squashed the humongous upside uh, that he had, and it would take another injury to get him back into that realm. But he's still, you know, a second power play type option, blocks hits. I, I like him as a streamer. Nothing more than that. All right. How about another defenseman over in Buffalo? We're revisiting some of the teams we've already been in as we just go through some maybe potential snoozers that you thought were great value in your drafts that you hoped would be great value. And unfortunately, they haven't panned out, so you need to move on quick. Owen Power over in Buffalo, two games. He has zero in every category except blocks where he has one. And this guy, he's he's played like almost 40. He's played over 40 minutes this season. And uh, you wouldn't know it from anything the scorekeeper's registering. Uh, any reason to hold on to Owen Power at this point, Steve? Yeah, I don't hate him. When like when we were talking about Buffalo, um, the team as a whole, you like the depth. It may not do wonders for their forwards uh, scoring, but I think it helps their defensemen. And only a couple of games into the season, I think that there's still merit in power but ultimately like he's a number two so the the upside's limited just in that regard and the fact that he's a rookie defenseman it's it's always tough to tough to transition we can't all be Moritz cider so um yeah i mean he, he was probably the last defenseman that you drafted anyway so not a ton of reason to not stream someone else in all right two more that's it. We're going to finish with Marco Rossi, who's been playing on on the fourth line, barely saw the ice uh, last night against L.A. And when Dean Evison was asked why, he mentioned this is our third visit to Minnesota somehow, by the way. Uh, Dean Evison said, well, I was matching my fourth line with their fourth line and their fourth line wasn't coming out. So that's why Marco Rossi didn't play. Uh, so I guess we're hoping that Marco Rossi can see some upwards mobility. I almost wonder if Freddie Gaudreau is getting a look on the top line. If maybe Marco, if that means there's an opening. If Hartman's off, maybe Marco Rossi gets a look there or something. I don't know. Are you holding out hope or are you just going to drop him until you see some upwards mobility from Rossi on the depth chart? I mean, I was thinking like as soon as he was drafted that they should put him on the top line so um certainly I, I see the upside there would love to see him used in that fashion i think that this is the type of situation where the gm might have a conversation with the coach and say okay if this kid's playing five minutes a night then he should be playing 20 down in the ahl so that's where this could be headed but at the same time if they continue to struggle you might see some shuffling and Rossi gets an opportunity that he doesn't um, hand back. But the fact that he didn't go out and say like grab this massive opportunity in the preseason tells me that maybe it's not quite in the cards for him at this stage. So yeah, I'm not overly optimistic about, uh, about what he's offering up. I think more liable to get demoted than it is for him to uh, get promoted, but I don't see any reason to, to be holding your breath. 
All right. So let go of him until you let go of Rossi until you see any any signs of light. And then this last one, I'm going to say it's Semyon Varlamov, but really it's just my sneaky way of saying that Elias Sorokin has started two games in a row with a healthy Varlamov. So I, I feel like no one is really that invested in Varlamov. Everyone is kind of thinking that Sorokin was going to see more than that 50-50 timeshare. And that's come to be. So if you took Varlamov thinking that he'd see half of Isles games and that was good enough for you, might be time to let him go because Sorokin has started two games. He stopped 48 of 51 shots against a 941 save percentage. Sorokin, of course, had a 925 save percentage last year. And the last two seasons, Sorokin has had a quality start percentage above 70%. That's amazing. But most importantly in all this, Sorokin has started twice and healthy Varlamov has started zero times. I feel like we did not see this all of last season or the season before. Is this the year, Steve, that the the strict 50-50 timeshare in Long Island is over? And if it is, how many games do you think would be a reasonable expectation for Ilya Sorokin? Yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated to know if this is the new coach Lane Lambert's philosophy, if there isn't some influence from what happened to them last year with that horrific start to the season where they played like two months in a row on the road. Um, And they said, hey, we need to get off to a phenomenal start. We're going to go with our number one here for our first couple of games. I would still expect to see this closer to a timeshare. You never know what Lou Lamorello's thinking, but we all see the contract situation for Varlamov and we see the terrible goaltending situations of which you threw many at me um, throughout this pod. So we can see the potential for Varlamov to flourish somewhere else. Um, I wonder if, despite Sorokin's brilliance, if they are riding him and the Islanders still aren't quite a playoff team, I wonder if that doesn't open up Varlamov to land somewhere where he could be of a lot more use to fantasy owners. So for me, if I had Sorokin, I want to have Varlamov because I two games isn't enough for me to say that, oh, yeah, Lane Lambert's a, a guy who rides his starter. But at the same time, you know, Sorokin has the talent. So Varlamov isn't a must-have, but certainly he's, you know, we know he's a guy, especially in category-type leagues, where he's going to have value, even if he's only getting 25 to 30 starts. Yeah, yeah, like get that spot because it probably it could go well if the Isles are are playing their defensively tight game. But man, wouldn't it be nice if we are seeing the birth of another number one workload starter in the NHL? Because I mean, Lord knows we want him. So so bring him on. I'm hoping this is true. But I'm with you, Steve. Maybe I, I need to see a little more uh, to be sure I believe it because this is uh, this would be a big shift from what we've seen in Long Island, Steve. Wow. I don't know. I've been keeping track of how many players or all the players we've talked about. I feel like we're at least at 75 and uh, you have been up for every single one of them. I, I am in awe. Thank you for sharing all your takes uh, and being here and spending this time with us on the show this week. It's been really great to have you uh, filling in uh, and uh, 
I, I'm excited to see how all of our takes on this show play out. And I, I hope we can stay in touch. Is there anywhere that our listeners can follow you in the meantime, once this show is over, where can they get more Steve Laidlaw? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Laidlaw. Um, it's fairly phonetic, but um, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm tweeting occasionally about fantasy hockey, uh, whether just griping about my team or um, a little little nuggets of, uh, of information. But uh, yeah, I was very pleased to be back on the show after a couple of years away. Um, so thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here again at Steve Laidlaw on Twitter. If you want more of him, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And that will do it for this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, please head on over to iTunes or iTunes doesn't even exist anymore. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Does that exist? Spotify, wherever you can write a review. It's great if you click the stars, but if you could write us a, a kind little note, we'd really appreciate that too, especially at this time of year. And also if you enjoyed what you heard and we you want to join like a really friendly, kind, inclusive uh, online community, I feel like these are hard to find, especially around hockey. I think we've got a pretty good one over on our Discord server, uh, patreon.com slash keeping Carlson. If you want to talk hockey with us basically all day, every day, we have an amazing, amazing group of people in there. Also, it puts your name on the wait list for the Cupful. If you want to take over a team that needs a manager at some point in the season, which happens, uh, you can sign up, get your name on the wait list, and we will call on you when you are needed for duty. Again, that's patreon.com slash keeping Carlson. But okay, to quote Elon, this is the end of tonight's episode, uh, both parts. So thank you once again to Steve Laidlaw for joining us on the show. I think I'll roll the credit music right about now. Also, thanks to John Reed. If you've been watching this on YouTube or Twitch tonight, you have enjoyed a whole suite of graphics to the, they go along with. And by the way, if you have also, please download the podcast version because that's how our network knows you're listening. They don't count YouTube or Twitch streams. Um, but John has been working magic. I just, I didn't do anything differently. And he's been making beautiful things happen as he's been doing for short shifts also. Um, so thank you, John Reed, very, very much for all your tech and graphic wizardry tonight on our stream this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Tom, Ryan, Derek, David, Andrea, Tyler, Aaron, Rob, and of course, Patty. Thank you very much to our Cupful coordinator, Kevin A. Barron, our team of amazing co-commissions keeping the world's biggest and greatest fantasy hockey league running smoothly through week one, kkupfl.com if you want to get in on the action. Thank you to Shams and Elon. Yes, Elon is still keeping that amazing stream of fantasy news rolling over at gamedaytweets.com. Remember to listen to Short Shifts through the week and you can follow Ben and Lewis at Short Shifts KK and you can follow Dave Benton at NHL Stream Scheme, who you also see appearing on our feed now. Logo art by brandonweeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and I think, well, I guess I'll shout out Yahoo. Thanks, Yahoo, for counting the couple points this week. And that will do it for another week. I wish you all the best in week two of your fancy leagues. I hope you found some good tips on the show. Feel free to tweet at us at Keeping Carlson if we got something right or wrong, or there's something entirely that we haven't spoken about that you want us to hit us up there 
thanks for following. Thanks for listening. And between now and the next episodes, please do all you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>